It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. But it's now time uh, to talk all things uh, football, A-League in particular. We have our Aussie football correspondent, Teo Palazzetti, on the line. Teo, good evening to you, mate. Great to join you. Yeah, yeah. Look, Tao, let's get straight into it, mate. This A-League final on the weekend, no one saw this one coming. Your Melbourne City previously, you know, they won it by 11 points. They looked for all money like they're going to win the title, win it again. Central Coast Mariners had a different story, 6-1. What happened? Uh, what happened? Well, I think Melbourne City had largely been cruising on the back of the massive points differential they had from top to the rest after Patrick Kisnorbo left to go to France and his replacement, Rado Vidizic, made some tweaks, was probably a more likeable and relaxed presence mm. in the Melbourne City dressing room. And that lack of a killer instinct perhaps was on show in the grand final, where in a game where Melbourne City were really pressing for an equaliser at 2-1 down yeah. and quite close to bringing the game level, the Central Coast Mariners, with a, a, maybe a fortunate penalty decision, were able to blow them away and, and Melbourne City did not have the resilience to dig deep and come back. Yeah, it was such, I mean, one one nil early, okay, one all, okay, here we go, Melbourne are back. But then a half hour where there's like five goals, Jason Cummings, you know, gets gets the hat trick and he's leaving the club soon. So what a way to go out. Yeah, sensational for him. I wouldn't be shocked if he's back in the A-League reasonably soon, okay. to be honest. I think that the key for Jason Cummings is the environment at the Central Coast. Mm. And I think we've got the cautionary tale in the not-too-distant past of Ross McCormack, who came out to Australia when his career was floundering. Another Scotsman, hugely talented, former international. Mm. But as soon as he left Melbourne City and left the A-League, his professional career was pretty much over within a year. Ooh. Now, Jason Cummings, different player, different person, but I wouldn't be shocked if after his time in India, where he grabs his money, he'll come back to the A-League and, <laughs> and be a hero to many here again. <laughs> I think you might be right too. Hey, also, of course, uh, back here in NZ, we're real happy that Central Coast won because we've got a couple of Kiwis in there, Storm Roo and James McGarry, and they both both had good games. Uh, how different has James McGarry looked under Nick Montgomery? I mean, oh. <laughs> it's proof that the right manager and the right environment can have a transformative effect on a player. So. I mean, he was always he was always zoomy and quick and kind of dangerous. And, and even at Newcastle, he'd been able to show a little bit of what he was capable of. But he has looked like a totally different player at the Central Coast Mariners. And I think it's, it's evidence that there are some talents that are not worth giving up on in this league. Yeah, and that's interesting for us because obviously he played for the Phoenix for quite a while too. And so, you know, we, we look at that and go, okay, what, what, why is he working there? But he, he was in and out here, didn't really cement the spot. That's why, that's why we look at it. And I'm guessing it's just like you said, it's the coach. Yeah, and I also think that McGarry's great strengths are all attacking and not necessarily completely focused on his defending. Yes. And I think the Mariners' centre-back pairing of Brian Kaltak and Nectar Triantis was able to cover and give him the freedom and ability to get forward. And it's why his goal scoring has taken off. He's just been a far more aggressive wing back and has had a good enough defence to cover for him. I, I always thought he had flashes and good moments when he was at the Phoenix. I did a lot of their games for the 10 Network 
the season before last, even mm. when the results weren't going particularly well, he was often a player who came off having caught the eye. So it's not a surprise that there were clubs here in Australia willing to give him uh, another chance and a foreign spot used on him. And to be honest, this could propel him into Europe from here. And the Central Coast Mariners are unashamedly a selling club oh. that will look to cash in on him as soon as someone's interested. And who knows, maybe the work of uh, Libby Kakache over in Europe means yes. that... Kiwi wingbacks will be uh, in demand into the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. I was just going to say, Libby Kakaji was fantastic, and you know his career. That that that's the Phoenix motto as well. If they're good enough to go, you let them go. You know, go expand your future and, and go overseas. And one of the to me, one of the great stories of this um, win for the Central Coast Mariners, and you said his name just before, Brian Keltak. You know, he's from you know Vanuatu. I don't even know how many players they have in Vanuatu, but what a fantastic story. Yeah, and not just that, it's his season arc. I mean, he, he certainly was impressive with some of his play, but he was also getting so many cards and had been sent yeah. off twice in the first half of the season. And it, it was a case of, is he up to the speed? Is he actually uh, maybe uh, able to concentrate for long enough and not let himself down? And he just became a colossus as mm. the season went on. And I think it's, it's great for not just Vanuatu, but all Pacific Island teams, you know, Roy Krishner has done great things for Fiji in this yes. A-League. Obviously, in the old NSL, there was Henry Ferrodo, who oh, was yes. from the Solomon Islands. But it does seem as though the, the great Pacific Islands players are so few and far between that something like an opportunity to open doors and to open minds is going to just make a huge difference as to how the scouts work and also the players who might put themselves uh, in a position where they can go and trial and fight for that professional deal. And tell us how, I mean, obviously this was a, a shock result for Melbourne. How were they? How did they take it? Have you managed to speak to any of the players or the manager, the coach? What For them, what went wrong in this game? Man, when Melbourne City lose, everything locks down, man. No one wants to talk. So, <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting situation where they've given Rado Vidozic this contract extension mid-season. Mm. He's their guy. But I think it's going to be really hard for them to come back at the start of preseason next campaign because when you lose three grand finals out of four, all you end up being judged on is the destination and not the journey. And it doesn't really matter how the journey looks over the course of the year and the football you play because all anyone is going to grade you on is did you get over the hump and win the grand final? And in a sense, the pressure that creates as a club and on the players can be far from ideal. So they're going to need some the right mindset amongst their playing group for that to work next season. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. But what a, yeah, what a great finish to the season. And other um, football news as well, uh, Teo, breaking, well, I was breaking news, but obviously one of Aussie's best coaches, Ange Postacoglu, uh, is looking like going to become the new manager of Spurs. Have you heard any more about this? Uh, it's a done deal. It's going to be a three-year contract. Wow. So some, of the, some of the reporting has said two years with an option. Others have said three years. My mail, and it is good mail, is that it's three years. It wow. could be announced as soon as tonight. As an Arsenal fan, at least I know now how all the Rangers fans felt when he went to Celtic. Um, but I, it, it's the most time I've ever spent on Spurs social media hitting refresh. Um, I, can, I can tell you that much. From, from an Australian point of view, it is, I think, perhaps the greatest coaching story mm. that Australia has ever had. Yep. Uh, I think you know, as much as we lionise our NRL heroes and figures in the AFL, to do this on an international stage, oh. I think it's the greatest coaching achievement the country has ever produced. Uh-oh. And I 
going to be transformative for the Premier League here in Australia, but also the game in Australia. I wouldn't be surprised if Tottenham's global footprint explodes off the back of having an, an entire nation of yep. 25 million people and all of our sports media apparatus yep. following every move in detail. Oh, look, that is a fantastic point. You're absolutely right. It's like when anyone from either Aussie or New Zealand, say New Zealand, for example, when Stephen Adams plays for a team in the basketball, we all support them. All of a sudden, we're those fans. you know. And same in the Premier League. If someone makes it from Aussie or New Zealand, there's a huge following. But Ange Postacoglu, we're not talking about, this is a this is a top six team. This is one of the big six. You know, it's a massive club. Do you know within the Spurs environment, how they, the fans, how would they take it? Do they look at it, oh, who is this guy? Or do they go, well, he's done really well at Celtic. How will they take it? I think there'll be a huge divide between fans who attend games and the online presence. Because the online presence is obviously saying we could have had, you know, Julian Nagelsmann comparing him to uh, Antonio Conte and mm. Jose Mourinho. But I think the fans that actually go to the games will be delighted with yeah. how... He embodies a club. Yep. They'll see his all his team talks to the Socceroos and a lot of the behind-the-scenes footage from his time as coach of Australia is starting to do the rounds on, on Spurs' Twitter account. Oh. And, and it's it's really showing how he manages people. And he Ange Postacoglu and everyone who's played for him has quite unashamedly said he doesn't get close to the players. He has an aura about him in that he engages with players when he needs to, but there's mm. famous accounts of him. You know, he'd be the worst person to sit to uh, next to on a team bus because <laughs> he just doesn't talk to you. So he has that, he has that uh, I wouldn't say aloofness, but he has that separation yep. that makes him the ultimate professional. And I do think that while it will be a new level of ego and dressing room and sort of the Spurs players on their gigantic wages will mm. be a new challenge, I do think he's got it in him to go in there and whip that club into shape if they give him enough time to yeah. let his style be. Yeah, you, you, it's interesting because we know from this side how well he did in Aussie, how well he did in the J-League, how well he did with Australia, how well he's done with Celtic. So he's obviously a coach. It doesn't matter who the squad is. He can turn them into a winning outfit and bring in players like I know with Celtic a lot of the fans there were a bit shocked he brought in some Asian players it's like well who are these guys they turned out to be fan favourites at the end of the year how does how do the Celtic fans are they happy that he's they wish him the best or did they try to keep him or was it too big an offer to refuse I think they're a little bit heartbroken that he's going because he's got Celtic into such a great position to finally compete in Europe again. We mm. saw them go out of the Champions League group stage this season, albeit taking it up to, you know, Real Madrid. Yes. Um, Shakhtar Netsk obviously got the better of them, and that's the reason they didn't even uh, finish third and get into the Europa League. Mm. But I, I do feel as though those six games in the Champions League were the evidence that Ange Postacoglu has of what he is capable of at the highest level, and he did it with his Scottish Premier League-level Celtic team, I think the Celtic team he leaves behind, they're going to need to get their next manager right to stand any chance of getting out of a Champions League group. But I'm sure that they will have their sights set on at least finishing third and going on some sort of a run in the Europa League. But it's going to be tough for them because, as we know, Scottish Premier League uh, Mm. wages and transfer fees 
aren't overly competitive with the rest of European football. And with with Ange, you know, he's a, a very loyal man. Do you think there'll be any players he might take from that Celtic team or even look down under to maybe bring through? Honestly, I don't think he will. I actually think it's a situation where initially he will come in and inherit what he's got and try to work with what he's got. Uh, obviously, the future of Harry Kane is going to be key. Will Spurs cash in on him this summer? If they do, he could have anywhere up to 100, 100 million pounds to 120 million pounds to go and identify his own talent. Mm. But if Harry Kane stays, the real concern is, will he run down his contract and leave on a free transfer at the end of next season? Or could Spurs do the unthinkable and find a way for him to sign on to a contract extension? And that might be Andrew's greatest achievement in his first six months, if he could pull that off. Yeah, I mean, that is that is the big question with Spurs, with Harry Kane. I mean, me, I'm a football fan, you're a football fan. You know, he's a great player, a great striker, but, you know, I, I do want him to win something. And for me, it's a bit like when Robin Van Persie, you know, left Arsenal to go to United, he wanted to win something. And maybe Harry Kane has to do that too. I mean, Alan Shearer won the Premier League with Blackburn, but he never won anything at Newcastle United after he went there for that British record. But I think the the difference might be in mentality for Spurs. Are they only tunnel vision on getting back into the top four and qualifying for the Champions League at the expense of the domestic cups? Or will Ange, who has proven himself to be a cup winner, Mm. uh, be given a bit of license to actually play his full-strength team in the domestic cups, not take any risks? And if, if that means he wins a League Cup or even an FA Cup, Will that be enough purely because he's broken Spurs trophy drought, which obviously stretches back about two seven years now? Yeah, yeah. I think I think any Spurs fan, look, I'm, I'm a Chelsea fan, so you know, I can, <laughs> we've been in shambles this year. I would have been happy for Ange to have come to join us as well. Uh, but yeah, any any trophy, any silverware, I think the Spurs fans will go absolutely burko for it. Well, you'd hope so, and I, I do think that as soon as uh, I'm fascinated to hear his first press conference and where he sets that level of expectation because he's always been so good with the Scottish media, Mm. obviously an incredible fishbowl. So if anything, it's it's sort of prepared him for what he might be facing with the London press and the English press who will be scrutinising his every word. But what I want to know is where does he set the bar for what he wants to achieve with Spurs in his first season? If he's coming in in a situation where he doesn't have to finish top four at all costs and he can be given an entire first campaign just to embed his style and start to identify the transfer targets he wants. I can't see it being anything other than a success. However, if Spurs rush him and they say it's top four or bust, that's where I think the heat really applies. Yeah, I agree. They've got to think a bit long term, that's for sure. Hey, also, before I let you go, uh, Tao, and thank you for your time this evening. Of course, on the horizon, not far away, is the Women's World Cup, both here in New Zealand and Australia. And let's be fair, the Matildas, they're a definite chance for this thing. Look, at, at this stage, uh, I would say Australia's on the, the tougher side of the draw, mainly because Germany, France and England are in their half. Mm. I have absolutely no doubt the United States will be waiting in the final from their half of the draw. Mm. But Australia's still got some pretty tough hurdles to clear. They've got this uh, friendly against France pre-tournament coming up. I think that'll be a great indicator of where Australia's potential quarter or even semi-final opponent might be at before the tournament starts. But for me, Germany is the one hurdle I'm not sure Australia can clear. I've got no doubt they can beat Canada. I've got no doubt they can beat England. Mm. But Germany is the one I'm worried about. Wow, because that English team are pretty good too, uh, Tao. They, you know, they're the, the European they're champions, aren't they? 
They are, but they've also had injuries to key players. And ah. I do think that they are wavering uh, in terms of the, uh, the level of belief and confidence they have without some of those big names like Leah Williamson and Beth Mead, who okay. won't be playing the World Cup. And for the Women's World Cup in Aussie, is it spread out all over Aussie or is it mainly just Sydney, Melbourne type of thing? No, no, there's games in Perth. There's a group in Adelaide. Wow. Australia's three games are in Sydney, then Brisbane, then Melbourne. And uh, if they continue to win, uh, they'll largely be playing in Sydney thereafter. So I, I think that Australia's in a good position to go on a run in this tournament. I think that there are certainty to get out of their group. Mm. It is just a question of when they run into the Germans or if someone can knock Germany out for them. Oh, boy. The Germans at Cup Finals, eh? it's, it's never easy. Hey, Theo, hey, thank you so much for your time tonight, mate. Much appreciated. And, uh, yeah, we'll be watching the Ange Postacoglu very closely. Thank you for your time. A pleasure. Thank you.